African History Network, the African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Monday, August 23rd, 2021, and we are live. We're back on the air live. I was at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History for the 30th Annual African World Festival that took place this past weekend, Friday, August 20th through Sunday, August 22nd. Tens of thousands of people came through uh, over the course of the three days and got to see a lot of people I know and got to meet a lot of uh, my listeners as well. So shout out to everybody who listens to the African History Network show who came by my booth near the uh, down Brush Street near the park stage. It's good meeting uh, listeners. Some people see me on Roland Martin Unfiltered as well. So they told me that also. All right. Well, we weren't on the air live uh, Friday, uh, this past Friday and Sunday. So I want to catch up on some stories that uh, we did not get a chance to talk to talk about either on Friday or Sunday. Well, I talked about uh, when, we, when we were on the air Thursday. We talked about Shikari Richardson running in the, in the Prefontaine Classic. And that race was taking place in Eugene, Oregon on Saturday, August 21st. And the the race did take place. That did happen. And it, she did run in the race, but it, the race did not end up the way I think. I don't think anybody predicted the race was going to end up like this. Okay. But we'll, we'll talk some about that. We'll share post-interview, post-race interview with you also uh, that she did with NBC News. Uh, she says she is not done. You know, I said on this show, you know, I'm rooting for Shakari Richardson. I still am. I'm not going to beat her up or talk negatively about her. Um, and I said I'm rooting for everybody black. We know the Jamaican team showed out. Okay. Uh, so, and you know that, that that's what happened. <laughs> the Jamaican team uh, uh, showed out, so we'll, we'll discuss that as well. Uh, we know that um, uh, Elena Thompson uh, Hera, okay, of Jamaica. We know uh, she finished first, and Shelly Ann Frazier Price, as well as Sharika Jackson, uh, came in second and third. So um, we'll, we'll discuss that race. And, and I'll let you hear uh, one of the interviews also that uh, Shikari Richardson did. And she has, a, I think she has a bright future ahead of her. She has more races. She'll be back in the, uh, she'll be back in the Olympics as well. I think it will um, help her a lot. I think it will help her a lot if she saves the majority of her talking until after the race is over i think because i think the um the videos that she released and things like that things she said before the race i think that may have put more pressure on her to try to live up to those expectations while you have people on social media talking about you and trying to discount you etc so we'll discuss that then uh last thursday uh, which was August 19th. The idiotic governor, lieutenant governor, 
the governor of Texas is an idiot, also Greg Abbott. But the idiotic lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick of Texas, was on Fox News, of all places, Trump TV, White NASA's TV. And he made some very disparaging remarks regarding African-Americans and the surge of coronavirus in Texas. Now, Governor Greg Abbott, we've talked about how idiotic Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has signed an executive order banning mask mandates in Texas, including in schools. So children in schools, they're not even trying to protect white children in schools with mask mandates in Texas. And coronavirus is surging in Texas. Texas and Florida make up about 40% of the new cases of coronavirus, somewhere between maybe 35, 40% of the new cases in the country of coronavirus come out of Texas and Florida. So um, idiotic Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was on Fox News with Laura Ingram of all people. And he said he blamed African-Americans, unvaccinated African-Americans for the surge in coronavirus in Texas. And he blamed Democrats for not doing anything to help African-Americans regarding coronavirus in Texas. But your white supremacist governor, Greg Abbott, signed an executive order banning mass mandates in schools. And the governor and lieutenant governor of both Republicans and the state legislature of Texas is controlled by Republicans. So the question I would ask you, ask you is what are you doing to protect African-Americans from coronavirus? He wanted to put the blame on Democratic uh, ran cities like Houston, Texas, where you have Houston, uh, Texas Mayor Sylvester Turner. But you're the governor and lieutenant governor of the entire state of Texas, not just for white Republicans. You're the governor and lieutenant governor of the entire state of Texas. Part of your job is to protect the citizens of Texas, regardless of race, regardless of whether they vote or not, regardless of uh, political affiliation. So I find it interesting. He, he didn't want to talk about that. And he's also doubled down on these idiotic comments as well. Okay, so uh, we'll discuss that. We'll do a fact check. They talked about this um, on CNN.com. On CNN and uh, CNN.com has an article dealing with this. Texas Lieutenant Governor falsely implies black 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 people to blame for COVID surge. I just find this just find this very interesting. So, so you would think if they want African Americans to vote for Republicans, you you would think they would talk about policies to benefit African-Americans, like Republican policies. This is what we're offering you. You know, this is how we're going to protect you from coronavirus, things like this. They just want to blame African-Americans for the surge. And that's not even accurate. You know, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. Then last week we talked about, we gave some updates in the uh, R. Kelly trial. Uh, we we have now entered uh, week two in the R. Kelly trial. So we have some updates uh, on that as well. We didn't get a chance to do that on Friday's show. Uh, and we didn't get a chance to do that on Monday, on Sunday's show, because I was 
uh, we weren't on live. I was at the 38th annual African World Festival. People were looking for me on Roller Martin Unfiltered on Friday because when I was at the festival, people were saying, hey, we, we didn't see you. <laughs> you went on Roller Martin Unfiltered Friday. Yeah, I was at the festival. So uh, this Friday, Roland is broadcasting live from Los Angeles. So his producers saying they won't have a panel. So as of now, uh, there won't be a panel on this Friday. So I'll definitely be on the following Friday on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Um, but in the R. Kelly trial, um, one of the witnesses testified that R. Kelly offered her fame for sex, fame for sex. She said, I just wanted to sink. Um, the second accuser to testify against uh, R. Kelly says she was 17 years old when R. Kelly pressured her for sex. Uh, her name is Zale, Z-E-L. She was 17 at the time, an aspiring singer. She was eager to meet R. Kelly, she said, and hoped that uh, he could help jumpstart her professional career. She received his phone number at a music festival and was told she could audition for him, uh, she, she said. But after she arrived at his hotel, R. Kelly was interested in only sex. Uh, Zale, who uh, testified under a pseudonym name, Zale, told jurors, as the second week of R. Kelly's criminal trial began in New York, she said that R. Kelly told her that he needed to relieve himself sexually before she began to sink. Okay. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just, I've heard all types of excuses, you know, to, uh, in, in the past. This is the first time I've heard that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this, this is like, is that like sexual healing or something? I don't know. It's a good show. It's a good reason. It's a good, it's a good thing the show's on late at night. But I mean, is this like sexual healing or something? It's, uh, it's just crazy. Now, I mean, just keep in mind, I mean, okay, at the time she was 17, she was naive. Because this is the same guy that had a song called Bump and Grind. And I mean, you listen to his lyrics. I mean, you, I remember R. Kelly. See, this originally was R. Kelly in public announcement. That was, that was the group. It was R. Kelly and public announcement. And then he left public announcement. That was like his group behind him. Because th their first song was called Honey Love. It's like back 1990, something like that. I was in college. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, this is it's getting crazier and crazier. But we'll talk about week two. Uh, week two started today in the R. Kelly trial. It's, uh, she said, quote, I was against it, against him having sex with her. That, you know, makes sense. I told him I did not come to please him, she said. She testified. He continued to persist and told me I didn't have to do anything just to take my clothes off, end quote. Okay. Those are the famous last words right there. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Talk about, talk about running game. Those are famous last words, okay? <laughs> oh. Oh, man. But anyway. <laughs> All right. So we'll discuss that and more on today's show. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is, is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. 
what you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Sign up for our email newsletter there as well. Uh, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, click on the yellow donate button. We're here six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, and keep broadcasting. All right. Uh, you can also register for the two online courses, uh, 10-week online courses that I teach on the weekends. It's at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com as well. We'll have some more information on that because we have new classes starting up on the 28th and 29th of August. All right, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that will satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Monday, August 23rd, 2021, and we are live. Uh, Call-in number is 313-778-7600 is the call-in number. If you have a question or comment, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Okay. Um, so, the you know, last week we talked about the uh, Prefontaine uh, Classic was coming up in Eugene, Oregon, right? And this is a track and field uh, classic, uh, track and field meet. And Shakari Richardson was uh racing and she was going to be racing against the um the uh, jamaican women who won gold uh at the olympics all right now she wasn't the only one uh it, it wasn't just these four in a the race because uh, when i posted some articles before 
dealing with um, uh, Shikari racing against the Jamaicans. I think maybe people didn't understand it was actually a track meet and she would be racing against other people also. But anyway, um, she she came, there were nine uh, women in the race and she came in ninth. So it was disappointing for, for, for her, but she's not discouraged. Um, she says she, she's not done. She said uh, she'll be back. Okay. Uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com has a good article on this as well as uh, NBC News. I read a number of different articles uh, dealing with this. Uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com has a good one. We're going to go to clip one here in just a second, uh, Shakita. So um, Shikari Richardson reacts after finishing last, then withdraws from second race uh, after Jamaica, uh, Jamaica's Elaine Thompson-Hara run second fastest women's 100 history uh in history second fastest women's 100 in history so she was also supposed to compete in the uh women's 200 meter race and she dropped out of that after coming in last in the 100 meter race now i haven't heard an exact reason why she dropped out of the 200 meter race May she, you know, her pride may have been hurt or something. Maybe her head wasn't in it all the way 100%, which is possible as well. But when we look at this here, um, it talks so we see that uh, okay, so Shikari came in last. Um, the we see that uh, Elaine Hara uh, came in first, uh, second fastest uh, women's 100 meters in history, 10.54 seconds. Elena Hara. Uh, uh, came in, uh, topping 10.61 second time that earned her another gold medal in last month's Tokyo Games. So, uh, rounding out the top three were Olympic uh, team medal uh, team teammates and medalists Shelly Ann Frazier Price at 10.73 seconds and Sharika Jackson 10.76 seconds. Now, when you actually watch the race, okay, so she came in. Um, uh, Shikari came in 11.14 seconds. All right. It's between 11.14 seconds and 10.54 seconds is, is less than a second difference. The difference between first place and ninth place. When you actually watch the race, it looks worse than what I think it looks worse than what it actually is. But she'll be back. She's not deterred. Uh, she may be, she may be a little embarrassed, possibly, but she's going to continue. She's young. She's twenty-one years old. Um, she says that uh, now Thompson Hera, Elaine Thompson Hera, admitted that she uh, she surprised herself even after having felt nothing but pride for her new personal best time which places her directly behind Florence Griffith Joyner's world record uh, 100 meter time of 10.49 seconds. Uh, Elaine Harris said to come back with a personal best after the championship, that is amazing. Uh, she said, I haven't run that fast in five years. Okay. Shakari Richardson was America was uh, American, um, Shakari Richardson finishes ninth, 11.14 uh, seconds. 
uh, and we know she was banned from uh, racing in the Olympics for 30 days because she tested positive for cannabis, violating the anti the U.S. anti-doping agency uh, policies. Now, I want to go to this interview here. Uh, this is well. First, let's do this. We're going to go to clip one. Clip one is from the Today Show. Okay. Uh, clip one is from the Today Show from August 23rd, uh, 2021. It gives a recap on what happened uh, at the Prefontaine Classic. And it has an excerpt of the initial interview that uh, Shakari did with uh, NBC News. Let's go to clip one, Shakita. Talented women on this track right now. But the world thinking this is Richardson versus the Tokyo podium in the women's 100. It was the showdown that fans had been hoping for at the Olympics. Shikari Richardson won the U.S. Olympic trials in spectacular fashion, but was suspended for a positive marijuana test before the Games. Telling Savannah at the time she took responsibility, but asked for empathy. Sitting here, I, I just say, don't judge me because I am human. I'm, I'm you. I just happen to run a little faster. On Saturday, she was up against two of the greatest sprinters in history two time Olympic champion Shelly Ann Fraser Price and gold medalist Elaine Thompson Hurrah, who won the race. Richardson being left behind. Even as viewers of the race saw Nike commercials featuring Richardson, I'll be at the finish line. She finished dead last stepping in front of the microphones in an interview that went viral. This is my race. <laughs> I'm not done. You know what I'm capable of. Tell me out if you want to. Talk all the shit you want, because I'm here to stay. It's been a bumpy road for the star runner, but as she told Tom Yamas right before the race, the experience has made her stronger. It gives me more to show the world that I'm here to stay. At the end of the day, I didn't make a mistake, but... That doesn't take away from my talent. Even after the disappointment this weekend, looking to the future. Congratulations to the winners. Congratulations to the people that won, but they're not done seeing me yet. Period. All right, Steph, so Shakari clearly is not backing down. Do we know what's next for her? Yeah, I mean, she has got the world in 2022, the world in 2023, and then you have Paris in 2024, a truncated schedule because normally it's four years. Now it's going to be three. All eyes will be on her again the next time she hits that track. Yeah, and she may come in last. Remember, the margins in these races are super, super right. small. And don't count her out. We'll see what happens. She'll make it look pretty strong. Again. <laughs> All right. So the yeah, the margins in those in those races are super small. You're dealing with a tenth of a second difference, a hundredth of a second. Because once again, now there was a there was a, the, the relay race during the Olympics, and a thing move, a thing mo, um, was like the last leg of the relay race. A thing mo is from the U.S., but her family's from Sudan. And she, a, a thing mo, blew away the rest of the runners in the last reg, leg of the relay race. It was the women's relay race, and you could probably put two or three like trailer uh 18 wheeler tractor trailers uh between her and the nearest competitor that's how much she blew them away okay once again here the difference between first place and last place was about a second the the video looked worse than i think it actually was but 
she'll be back. Now, there was a, another interview. We're going to go to clip two, uh, Shakita. There was a, another interview that she did after the first one. The first one was initial one with NBC New, with NBC. And um, she did a second one to kind of clear up and correct uh, some of the things she said in the in the in the first interview. All right. Uh, I I think um, I hope she can get some people around her who will help her to um, be able to express herself better in interviews because these interviews go viral. Okay, because of the hype built up around her and some of the hype she contributed to because, you know, I saw the video of her introducing her new hairstyle before the race and different things like that. And, you know, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm rooting for her. Okay, hold on. We just lost our connection to the radio station standby. So I think she would be better. We lost our connection to the radio station. We're back. I think, as I was saying. I hope Shikari can get some people around her who can help her better uh, express herself during interviews because these interviews that she's doing will go viral and much more so than any other uh, woman in track and field, maybe with the exception of uh, Allison Felix. Okay. Um, so, I hope she can get that support system around her. Now, this is uh, an interview that she did after the one with NBC News. Okay. Uh, this is about two minutes. And she also talks about how she um, supports all the women in the race and all those who won on the Jamaican team, et cetera. Let's go to this clip. No excuses. Not at all. It's back it's time to get back in the lab and do what it is that I need to do. Congratulations to the women that won. I love women. No matter what the flag is, no matter what no matter what brand you wear. I love successful women. And I hope that they continue to be just as successful as they as they're doing and continue to thrive in their career. But I'm definitely going to thrive and I'm definitely going to continue to show the world why I'm that saying no excuse. You do that over the last month. Where do you get that right? Your ability was to say, you know, maybe I have this setback, but I can move forward. It's just so part of my, my mindset. Um, and I also imagine that my mind supports around me. They don't let me speak. They, they understand because they see the talent so much. They don't just see today. They see the big picture. They see the overall potential and what I can do and bring to this game. So they never let me sit. And with that, it's in my, it's in my head. It's been welded to me, training from high school all the way up until now. The greatness in me is not on anybody's pace. It's not on social media's pace. It's not on my pace. It's not on my. It's not on the haters' pace. It's on God's pace. Okay. And he gonna make sure I do what it is I need to do when it's time to do it. And right now it wasn't time to do it, and that's okay. But when it is time to do it, y'all gonna know. And what will you say then? Nothing. <laughs> 
what, what's the last month or two just kind of taught you about your confidence, your self-belief, and like how important that is to have that reaffirmed to yourself every day in spite of, in spite of stuff? Oh, just having that confidence. You have to believe in yourself before you expect anybody else to believe in you. So you have to have that confidence within you and 30, meaning because the world, the world can be a, a foul place. So if you don't have it within yourself, you step out into the world knowing that the world is it all pieces and cream, then the world is going to get you. So with that, I continue to stay strong, to tall, my support system, my family, everybody. They they keep that in me as well. So honestly, the confidence comes from from being grounded, for having having that support system. And as long as I got you, the haters can talk, people can talk. All right, so that was in a press conference after the one she, after the initial one she did with NBC. And in this one, uh, I'm going to go back to the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com and then also we'll show you the one quickly here from NBC News. Then we're going to go to um, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's idiotic comments about unvaccinated African-Americans. But in another press conference, uh, Shakari Richardson apologized for her uh, reaction immediately after the race and told reporters that she's rooting for all women. She said at the end of the day, end of the day, no excuses, not at all. It's time to get back in the lab and do what, uh, and do what it is that I need to do. Uh, she said, congratulations to the women that won. I love women, no matter what the flag is, no matter what brand you wear. I love successful women and I hope uh, they continue to be just as successful as they're doing and continue to thrive uh, in their career. I'm definitely uh, going to thrive and I'm definitely going to continue to show the world uh, I'm that girl. OK, now she later reiterated her support of all black women on Twitter, writing, I love all black. I don't see flags. All right. So uh, check out this piece here from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Uh, have a good article here. Um, Shikari Richardson reacts after finishing last, uh, then withdraws from second race after Jamaica's Elaine Thompson Harrow runs second fastest women's 100 history. That's from AtlantaBlackStar.com, August 22nd, 2021. Uh, the, the Grio also has uh, a good article on this as well, and uh, NBC News. The interview from the Today Show is in the article from NBC News. The one from NBC News is Shikari Richardson declares, I'm not done after finishing last in major race. Okay. And w once again, you know, I understand she's young and people want to talk trash and things like this. And, but, you know, I think it I think it'll be less pressure on her if she um, saves maybe about 70 percent of the talking until after the race is over, because I think she probably puts more pressure on herself than is needed by doing so much talking before like a race like this. All right. But we're all rooting for her. And I'm rooting for everybody black. So, I'm you know. I'm happy for the uh, Jamaican, the Jamaican women as well. And I'm um, hoping Shakari does better uh, in the next race she runs in. All right. Now, 
speaking of somebody that needs to do better, okay, and we're going to go to clip uh, three here in just a minute, or clip, uh, which one is that? Clip, uh, it's the one from CNN. Hold on. Did I, send, I think I have to send that one. It's the next one from CNN. Um, it, so Thursday, August 19th, on, of all places, Fox News, White Nationalist TV, Fox News, that's basically what it is, uh, Trump TV, White, La- White Nationalist TV. Uh, Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, made some very uh, um, inaccurate, false uh, statements about African-Americans, unvaccinated African-Americans and coronavirus. Okay, now keep in mind, Lieutenant Dan Patrick supports uh, a president, a former president, the trade in chief who has done a lot to undermine the whole vaccination process. Now, even though Trump was in Atlanta, uh, Alabama, Trump was in Alabama a few days ago, and we posted about this on our fan page, the African History Network, and he was uh, uh, talking to the crowd of Trump supporters, most of them not wearing masks, and Alabama is surging with coronavirus. And he told them, they should take the vaccine. He said he took the vaccine. He said they should take the vaccine. Okay. He said you have your freedoms, but you should take the vaccine. And they booed him. Okay. Now, and I posted about this. See, this is see, this deals with the this deals with the propaganda and the programming. And this is how the propagandists, the, the liars and deceivers are even losing control of the Frankenstein monster that they have created, which is their own followers. I posted, I just sent you the clip, Shakita. Uh, I posted this article here from, uh, which publication was this? Because I was at the festival. I was posting articles. I was monitoring the news while I was at the African World Festival. And I was posting articles on uh, social media from from my smartphone. Um, TMZ, TMZ had this article. Uh, Donald Trump booed at Alabama red rally after urging crowd to get the vaccine. Now you, you just have to step back and look at this. This is how ignorant these people are. Okay. Now he's telling them to take the vaccine to save, to save their lives. Okay. Now, personally with me, I don't have a problem if they don't take the vaccine to just be perfectly honest with you, but he's telling them this to save their lives. These are his supporters. He needs, he needs them to, vote for Republicans in the 2022 midterm elections and vote for him if he's not indicted, okay, in 2024. He's trying to save their lives. They're so stupid. And he and he's telling them that he took the vaccine. They're so stupid that they don't even want to listen to him. This is this is what happens when the this is what happens when the mad scientist loses control over the monster that they have created. Donald Trump booed at Alabama rally after urging crowd to get the vaccine. Okay. What he should have told him is president Obama is telling you don't get the vaccine. See, then they would have ran to go get it. If, if Donald Trump had said, did you hear the president Obama? 
this is what they, this is what he should say. <laughs> oh, you see, this is a, this is a test. We could we could do like a um we could do like a test on white supremacy. What Trump should have told them is that President Obama said, "Don't get the vaccine." Okay, he, he, President Obama told Trump supporters in Alabama, "Don't get the vaccine." They would have left immediately to stand in line and go get it if he had said that. Okay, see that's what that's what, see that's that's a test in white supremacy right there. All right, <laughs> but uh, if we look at this, he said uh, Donald Trump uh, can say just about anything to his base, and they would cheer anything with one big exception, urging folks to get the vaccine. Trump was booed during a rally in coleman alabama on saturday um saturday august 21st after urging the crowd to get the COVID shot he said, i believe totally in your freedoms i i i do you got to do what you got to do but i recommend taking the vaccines i did it it's good okay now he's telling them hey i took the vaccine okay that's after he got COVID. And he got um, he got the um, the drug, the um, mama clonal drug that saved his life. All right. And he got vaccinated after he got COVID. All right. He's trying to save their lives. And they're they're so stupid that they boot many of them booed him. OK, so now once again, I don't have a problem with them not taking the vaccine. We just need to stay away from dumbasses like this. Uh, he went on to say, that's OK. That's all right. Trump said, pressing on. He said, but I happen to take the vaccine. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know. But it's working. You do have your freedoms. You have to maintain that. Um, OK, so then you have. Now, that was Saturday, August 21st. Thursday, August 19th on Fox News. You had Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick of Texas uh, blaming Af unvaccinated African-Americans for the surge in uh, coronavirus in Texas. Let's go to uh, let's go to this clip, Shakita. All right. While we get that uh, queued up. So. If we look at this here, Texas Lieutenant Governor falsely implies black people. Uh, black people to blame for COVID surge. Texas Lieutenant Governor falsely implies black people to blame for COVID surge. CNN's Laura Coates, uh, and I've had Laura here on the show. Actually, when I was on Blog Talk Radio, I had Laura. Um, I met Laura. Uh, I've had her when I used to guest host for Roland Martin on Roland's Nasty Syndicated Radio Show. I met uh, okay. Laura Coates. So, um, Laura Coates was sitting in for Don Lemon, and she discussed Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who in a recent interview on Fox News claimed that African-Americans were to blame for the ever-increasing wave of coronavirus cases in Texas. Let's go to this clip. They're spiking in many states, including Texas, and that state's Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is falsely implying that it's black people's fault. The COVID is spreading, particularly uh, most of the numbers are with the unvaccinated, and the Democrats like to blame Republicans on that. Well, the biggest group in most states 
are African-Americans who have not been vaccinated. The last time I checked, over 90% of them vote for Democrats in their major cities and major counties. Let's set the record straight. I want to bring in Dr. Cedric Dark, assistant professor of emergency medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. Dr. Dark, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you here because I let me, let me read this from our CNN fact check, okay? Um, it says, fact first, just on raw numbers, black people at about 13% of the total population are not the biggest group of unvaccinated people either in Texas or across the U.S. Analysis by the Kaiser Family Foundation um, found that white adults account for the largest share of unvaccinated adults. So, Lieutenant Governor is wrong, but what's your reaction? Well, first reaction is don't blame black people for your failure to implement mitigation mechanisms like masking and, you know, vaccinating in the people who you employ. As you said, there are 3.7 million unvaccinated white people in Texas, which is vastly more than black people in Texas that are unvaccinated, 5.6 million versus 1.9 million. Now, you know, last time I checked, I'm a minority still in, in the population. And, you know, there, there may be some half-truths that were told in terms of percentages of people vaccinated when you divide that by race. 40% of white people in Texas are vaccinated, only 29% of black people in Texas. But as you said, it, this is a numbers game. The more people you have, the more people that are unvaccinated, the more likely we are to spread this virus. Okay. Okay. So that was uh, from CNN. So if we look at this article here, uh, fact check, Texas Lieutenant Governor falsely implies black people to blame for COVID surge. We look at this fact check. Uh, very quickly here, they talk about, um, if we look at this here, just looking at raw numbers, uh, African-Americans uh, are about 13% of the total population and not the biggest group of unvaccinated people either in Texas or across the United States. An analysis by the Kaiser Family Foundation found that white adults account for the largest share of, un of unvaccinated adults. Even if we dive into uh, the rates, the implication from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick that African-Americans are especially to blame for spreading the virus is not accurate. Uh, if we look further here, it says, according to uh, data analyzed by the Kaiser, uh, the Kaiser uh, Family Foundation, uh, African-Americans made up over 50% of positive cases of coronavirus in only two of the 35 analyzed places as of August 16th, in only two of the 35 analyzed places in uh, as of August 16th, the District of Columbia and Mississippi. Okay, those two places, African-Americans made up over 50% of positive cases. Uh, specifically in Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's state of Texas, African-Americans represent 15% of, of coronavirus cases, Latinos 52% and white people 32% of coronavirus cases. How is, where did, where did he get this misinformation from? And to me, there should be bigger, there should be more backlash against him, okay? He should be eviscerated for this. Um, in his response, CNN's 
uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick's office pointed to a Facebook post from the Lieutenant Governor, which incorrectly claimed, quote, federal and state data clearly indicate that black vaccination rates are significantly lower than white or Hispanic vaccination rate. But he didn't talk about what he and Governor Greg Abbott, who also caught coronavirus and was fully vaccinated, and, and Governor Greg Abbott has since gotten the booster shot. He didn't talk about what those two are going to do to help African-Americans or what the Republican-dominated state legislature is going to do. We know they're trying to push through voter suppression laws, all right? Now, those watching on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Keep watching. We're out of time here on that. Today on Superstation WFDF. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, you can register for the two online courses that I teach. We have new classes starting up on Saturday, August 28th, and Sunday, August 29th. Um, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, and Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Remember, right now, it's correct, wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, everybody, stand by. Okay, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, right on the homepage, we have the information for the uh, two online courses I teach. They're 10-week online courses uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, and uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, the, uh, as soon as you register, the classes are uh, $80 uh, each. Um, as soon as you register, you start watching uh, the content. You watch the class we did this past, uh, last week and the week before that. Okay, these are 10 week online courses. We do the classes live, all the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch them over and over again. Okay, let's, let's continue here. Uh, also, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. And through our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. Um, I mean, through, through, through uh, our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Click on the yellow donate button. Uh, this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W, uh, through Cash App. Okay. All right. And this helps us keep broadcasting and stay on the air six days a week, pay some of the bills, et cetera. Okay, let's continue. I want to go back to this story here dealing with... Uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. So I think there should be more backlash. Uh, I've heard some, but, you know, this is, see, now, just two or three weeks ago, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, the idiotic Republican governor of Florida, and others were blaming undocumented immigrants for the surge in coronavirus, okay? They were doing that just two or three weeks ago. Now you got Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who is uh, lying and blaming the increase in coronavirus in Texas on, on, on unvaccinated African-Americans. Which, which is blatantly false. OK, and the question and then they don't want to have a mass mandate in schools to slow the spread of coronavirus because it's going to explode in Texas. Okay. And it's already doing that in the schools. Okay. Now let's look at this. Uh, let's go back to this article. Okay. So 
In his response to CNN, Patrick's office pointed to a Facebook post from the lieutenant governor, which incorrectly claimed federal and state data clearly indicate that black vaccination rates are significantly lower than white or Hispanic rates. Now, on this point, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is wrong as well. Since data suggests that uh, the difference across racial groups is not that clear. According to analysis of self-reported data, uh, self-reported data from the Kaiser uh, Family Foundation, 65% of black adults said they had received at least one dose of the vaccine. 65% of African-American adults said they had received at least one dose of the vaccine compared to 75% compared to 70% of white adults and 61% of uh, Latino adults. Now, a different Kaiser Family Foundation analysis says that in 40 states, in 40 states, 50% of white people are vaccinated and 40% of African Americans are vaccinated. Okay, that's in 40 states. Now, the, um, let's see here. The, the number of new daily COVID cases continues to rise in the state of Texas, up 24% over the past two weeks. The number of patients hospitalized with the virus continues to climb as well. Hospital capacity concerns worsening. Fatalities are increasing faster, the state's uh, Department of Health Services said on Wednesday. Okay, now... This uh, now this article here is from Friday, August 20th, Friday, August 20th. Check this out. Fact check. Texas Lieutenant Governor falsely implies black people to blame for COVID surge. Now, there was a uh, also a piece from uh, the root dot com. Uh, from August 23rd. There was one from the root.com on this topic as well. And let me pull that one up here. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick doubles, doubles down on falsely blaming COVID-19 surge on black residents. Texas Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Patrick doubles down on falsely blaming COVID-19 surge on black residents. Uh, he thinks, he, Dan Patrick thinks Democrats alone are responsible for taking care of black voters. But Dan, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Governor uh, Greg Abbott, they're the governors of the entire state of Texas, regardless of race, regardless of political affiliation. Okay, so check this one out. Uh, check out this article also. And they cite the, they cite the article from uh, CNN in here as well. Now, they also cite an article from The Guardian. This is what I was looking at. They cite an article from The Guardian as well. The Guardian Guardian.com uh, explains the data does not support the claim that Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Patrick made. And then there's also a tweet from uh, Dan Patrick also. Hold on here. Um, Houston Mayor 
let's go through and look at this here. Uh, Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner uh, responded as well. He said that uh, Dan Patrick's statements, quote, are offensive and should be and should not be ignored. And former HUD secretary and 2020 presidential candidate Julian Castro called comments uh, reprehensible. Now, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick released a statement on Twitter the next day in an attempt to clarify his comments, but he ended up just doubling down, saying wrongly that, uh, quote, federal and state data uh, clearly indicate that black vaccination rates are significantly lower than white or Hispanic rates, end quote. Okay, that's a tweet from August 20th. Okay, we, he made that kind of comment. Um, now, The Guardian uh, laid out some facts. African-American Texans uh, are about 12% of more than 29 million people in the state, okay? Uh, a 12% of more than 29 million people in the state. And, and uh, African-American Texans account for 15% of total COVID cases and just more than 10% of deaths. Okay, this is in the state of Texas. About 8% of the eligible population in Texas that has been vaccinated is African-American. About 8% of the eligible population in Texas that has been vaccinated is African-American according to, to state data compared to 35% of the white population. Uh, but white people make up the largest racial group in Texas at about 40%. Overall, 44% of Texans are fully vaccinated, less than the national rate of 50%. Okay, uh, so you can read the rest of this here. Now, the Texas Tribune also notes that vaccine hesitancy is higher among Republicans than with African-American residents. The Texas Tribune notes that vaccine hesitancy is higher among Republicans than with African-American residents. In a recent poll conducted by the newspaper, 38% of Republicans said they would not get the vaccine versus 18% of African-Americans, okay? 38% of Republicans who were overwhelmingly white said that uh, they would not get the vaccine versus 18% of African-Americans. Now, Lieutenant Dan Patrick, I don't think, wants to address that issue. CNN also detailed all the falsehoods in Patrick's statement. We went through that article, that fact check from CNN. So check this out as well. I think he should be eviscerated for this because this also plays into his white supremacist mentality. And as well as the, as well as Governor Dan, uh, Governor Greg Abbott, this plays into the white supremacist mentality. Now, um, what they didn't talk about is a plan to help African Americans, who they say are the reasons why you have a surging rate of coronavirus in Texas. They didn't talk about what they were going to do to help the issue. Notice that. Okay, let's go to this next story here. Uh, this deals with an update on the R. Kelly trial. We're in week two of the uh, R. Kelly trial. 
and let me pull this up here here's the link to the article from um the root how's everybody doing we've got uh fly girl we've got nicholas shawnee janet Moni. anybody share this broadcasting on social media platforms Okay, so the the R. Kelly trial gets um, we have more people, more witnesses testifying. It gets um, more mysterious. Interesting is not the word. Is sick. Uh, look, more sick would be it, but it's it's um, it's it's just something. Let me just put it like that. It's just is is crazy. Uh, I'm going to do a quick recap here from uh, week one because there's some things we did not get a chance to talk about um, in week one of the trial. Let me go to, um, let me pull this up here. This is from the New York Times. This is key moments from week one in the R. Kelly trial. And then we're going to do a recap of... Uh, We'll talk some about uh, week two. Uh, okay, that's loading up. Let me do this. I want to go to um, want to go to the uh, update from the Black News Channel as the R. Kelly trial enters its second week. Uh, let's go. Let's go to this clip here. This is Candace Kelly, uh, legal uh, analyst. Candace Kelly, we're sometimes on Roland Martin and filtered together as, as panelists, and she's given an update on. Um, she's given a recap of week one and talking about week two in the R. Kelly trial. About the R. Kelly sex trafficking and racketeering trial is now entering week two. And later this morning, Demetrius Smith will be back on the stand. Uh, he is R. Kelly's former tour manager. We've talked about him. On Friday, he told the courtroom that he bribed a government worker to get a fake ID for singer Aaliyah, who was only 15, so she and R. Kelly could get married. Our justice correspondent, Candace Kelly, is here with us now. Uh, good morning to you, Candace. You know, I know we already reported news of Aaliyah's pregnancy, the reason R. Kelly reportedly married her to save his neck. Um, he thought, um, you know, any charges for, for doing this with an underaged uh, person. But it just every time I read it or hear it, it's just so seedy. Um, the tour manager, though, he tried to plead the fifth, and I wonder what you make of that. Um, he has immunity. So so why does that make a difference? Well, you know, I think that he pled the fifth to show R. Kelly in court that he really didn't want to talk about it. In fact, during yeah. the court yeah. session and while he was on the stand, he said, I feel uneasy about this. I don't want to be here. He just really was hesitant, and he continued to show his loyalty to R. Kelly because even though he had immunity, he tried to take the fifth. Now, the two can't coexist. If you have immunity, that means you're allowed to speak about anything that you want and you won't get in trouble. So why he pled the fifth was just to show his loyalty to R. Kelly, I think, overall, because he was just hesitant, didn't want to be here 
Um, and, and it just didn't make any other sense than to show R. Kelly, look, mm -hmm. I'm still mm -hmm. on your side. And in fact, we've heard him say he doesn't even think R. Kelly should go to jail. Yeah, he tried to fake the funk, Candace, and I don't know if that's a legal term, but this had to come as a shock to, to the prosecution or maybe because they've talked to him for so long, they, they knew this was a possibility. But is there any repercussion? I mean, immunity, you can't revoke it, can you? I mean, what? Right. You can't revoke it. He went ahead and spoke. Everything is on record in terms of what he knew about this illegal marriage and what he did in terms of his part to pay $500 to get a fake ID for that marriage to happen. So he's really safe. But I'm sure that the prosecutors were just basically annoyed with him to think that he would take the yeah. fifth after all these years, literally, that he was given giving information and actually was the key Without him, they really could not have secured and connected the dots between this marriage happening. He was able to get the fake ID and he was at the marriage itself. So they were counting on him and they got through that on Friday. It will be very interesting to see what he does today on the stand. There were other uh, explosive moments as if we need any more. You know, it's only the first three days of this trial. Uh, the doctor who testified um, to Geronda Pace, what stuck out to you there about um, their time on the stand? You know, doctor, uh, Dr. Chris McGrath, he also was on the stand. It was someone who actually said that he did not want to be there. So this is another person saying, I don't want to be there, showing their loyalty to R. Kelly. He was R. Kelly's doctor for a number of decades. And I think the takeaway from that was that R. Kelly knew he had herpes before he gave it to Geronda. And he told R. Kelly you are in a position now where you have to tell all of your future sexual partners that you have herpes. In fact, the doctor said he came to the house of R. Kelly and treated Geronda Pace for herpes. So this is something that everybody knew. But I think what was the big takeaway from that was that this was a doctor that never got paid. He was just flown around to concerts, uh, met very interesting and important people that R. Kelly has collaborated with, uh, and he didn't get paid. So I think there was a little bit of bad judgment that was displayed on his part. Nothing illegal, but it did make him seem a little slick that he didn't get paid and was around all of this and probably saw a lot of what his other entourage saw but still decided to keep on going with him and his wife attending R. Kelly's concerts. And I think with Geronda Pace, you know, one of the takeaways was, of course, that when she read that diary and had actual information during the mm -hmm. time when it happened and reading it and just her outpouring of emotions, you know, to Dre, who was on the scene um, with BNC right now. And he was talking about how that was really an explosive moment. That first day, she was pretty calm, cool, and collected. But when she actually read the words of what she went through, she broke down. And that was an explosive scene in the courtroom. Yeah, I mean, she was reading the words of a child who wouldn't feel terrible for a child going through that. Mm. The child just happened to be her. Um, yes. When you look at how these uh, first days of this trial, we've all been anticipating are stacking up both sides. Um, what's your analysis so far? And I know it's not fair because there's a long way to go, but so far, Candace. You know, when we look at what the prosecution and the defense team presented in their opening arguments, this gives us the roadmap as to where they're going. The prosecution really started off with such a strong start. I mean, everything that they said, 
apparently they have receipts for. Often, if you say that you're going to show something in court, you are matching what is on that indictment. And we saw that with Geronda. We saw that within the first couple of days that this marriage did, in fact, happen to Aaliyah. You and I have talked about it before. We've heard it out there in the world over the years. But to hear it in federal court as evidence is something that is totally different. And I think with the defense, um, I mentioned Dre before. I was speaking to him, who's going to be at the courthouse live in the court uh, today in Brooklyn. And he said that what one of the takeaways he said that we can't really get by not being there was that when the when the defense team gave their opening argument that it was actually laughable and by reading some of the accounts mm. it seemed like they didn't have a strong case but he said literally the reporters were laughing because it just seemed so far reaching didn't make sense he said that sometimes they said we will prove that R. Kelly Kelly is guilty oops not guilty so a lot of mistakes made there and I just think that right now the prosecution has a lot going on there side in terms of what they can present. Now they just have to make their case and convince those 12 on the jury to believe them and to convict R. Kelly. Uh, yeah. A lot. Got to be prepared. You got to be yes, prepared. Yes, you do. Um, that's not really what you want to hear if you're trying to save a man's life, but we'll see uh, if justice will be served ultimately. That's what people are looking for. Justice correspondent Candace Kelly Thank you. We're going to check back in with you a little later this morning before court resumes. Okay, so that was from uh, August 23rd, 2021. The Black News Channel um, legal analyst Candace Kelly was speaking with uh, Start Your Day uh, co-host Sharon Reed. All right, so if we look at, I showed um, the updates from the New York Times while we had that clip playing. If we go back to this quickly here and look at uh, moments from key moments from week one, R. Kelly trial key moments from week one, the first days of, of, of R. Kelly's federal trial in Brooklyn included harrowing testimony from an accuser and details of his brief marriage to Aaliyah. And for those that don't know, that's Aaliyah's picture that you see to my left, that you see in almost every show. All right. Now, uh, if we scroll down here, okay, we talked about Geronda Pace, her testimony last week. Um, R. Kelly used a bribe to marry Aaliyah when she was 15. So they just talked about, uh, you heard Candace Kelly talk about Demetrius Smith. R. Kelly's former tour manager who pleaded the fifth on the witness stand. Uh, the first time Demetrius Smith, R. Kelly's former tour manager, uh, heard Aaliyah sing in fall 1992. He said it was something special. Uh, he testified on Friday, last Friday, which was August 20th. Um, he, he testified, uh, he said uh, R. Kelly played the piano and she sang. Uh, the music was angelic. Now, Demetrius Smith, who worked for R. Kelly as this, uh, as R. Kelly rose to fame, said that after that day of making music together in her parents' Detroit home, the singers began working together closely. Now, also, uh, it's important to note that R. Kelly claims that when they got married, Aaliyah was 18 years old, okay? Allegedly, documents were forged, and this is something that prosecutors are going to prove in this case. 
we know that R. Kelly knew that she was underage. The reason why we know is because after the documentary uh, Surviving R. Kelly came out and R. Kelly's uh, chief attorney at the time, uh, Steve, I think it's Steve Greenberg. Steve Greenberg was interviewed by Lindsey Davis on ABC News. Steve Greenberg alleged that Aaliyah lied about her age to R. Kelly when they got married and said she was 18. A day or two after that interview took place, old video surfaced of R. Kelly working with Aaliyah in the studio on her debut album because R. Kelly produced her debut album. R. Kelly is on video saying, he's recorded saying that Aaliyah is 14 years old. They were 15 when she got married. He allegedly paid to have documents forged saying that she was 18 when they got married. But he's on video saying she was 14. So he knew her age. That video, the, the root.com had an article dealing with this and the video was in the article from the root it came out after the interview that steve greenberg did with lindsey davis on abc news and he and and r kelly's attorney alleged that Aaliyah lied about her age no it's the other way around somebody was lying but it wasn't her it was the other way around it wasn't her at first it was it was the other way around r kelly allegedly had documents forged saying she was 18 so he could get married to her um all right let's go back to this here so Aaliyah was just 12 at the time prosecuted so let me back up so Demetrius Smith who worked for R. Kelly as the singer Rose to Fame said that after that day of making music together in her parents Detroit home the singers began working together closely Aaliyah was just 12 years old at the time prosecutors said R Kelly who was in his 20s soon began having sex with her anyway now Demetrius Smith uh, former uh, tour manager testified that he soon began became concerned about the tone of R Kelly's public encounters with the girl which he said were over playful, over playful. Okay, he's referring to Aaliyah. Uh, quote, Robert, you ain't messing with Aaliyah, end quote, he recalled asking R. Kelly one day. He got, he got his answer while on tour in 1994 when R. Kelly approached him shortly before he went on stage. Quote, Aaliyah is in trouble, man. Demetrius Smith testified that R. Kelly told him and they arranged the flight later on later on the plane. He said R. Kelly explained the problem. Quote, she thinks she's pregnant, end quote. Now, Demetrius Smith testified that R. Kelly and another member of his staff hatched a plan for the two singers to get married so that R. Kelly could avoid potential prosecution for having sex with a minor. Demetrius Smith said he objected to the plan, 
but he eventually helped enable it but he eventually helped enable it by securing a fake id for Aaliyah that showed she was 18 and could marry legally after getting a marriage license r kelly and the group made their way to a hotel and called a minister now the marriage was annulled the next year because her parents had them get an annulment for the marriage because she was underage the marriage was annulled the next year Aaliyah, whose full legal name is Aaliyah uh dana halton we know died in the plane crash in 2001. She is known in court documents as Jane Doe number one. Jane Doe number one. Much of her music, which had long been unavailable on streaming platforms amid legal disputes, was released on Friday, August 20th. A short distance from the courthouse, a billboard advertising the release of her music uh, of her music features Aaliyah, her eyes closed and her hands on her hips high above the busy street. Now, uh, also uh, in week one, a former assistant says uh, R. Kelly, a former assistant says working for R. Kelly was almost like the Twilight Zone. Almost like the Twilight Zone. This was Anthony Navarro that testified he started working as a runner for R. Kelly in 2007. And he was given a list of rules. He used the same phrase as Geronda Pace to describe them. Rob's rules. Among the most prominent, I wasn't supposed to, I wasn't supposed to be talking to any of the girls, the guests who were coming into the house. Once while on tour, he drove across state lines with a young woman, one of R. Kelly's girlfriends from Alabama into Atlanta. He did not speak to her at all. Uh, breaking the rules led to a cut in pay. Uh, Anthony Navarro said, adding that he had once been fined for something so trivial he could not remember what it was. Um, he said, quote, it was almost like the Twilight Zone, he recalled, of the more than two years he spent uh, from R. Kelly's home. Uh, you went into the gate and it was like a different world, just a strange place. Then uh, R. Kelly's doctor uh, testified about diagnosing R. Kelly for herpes. As we heard um, Candace Kelly talk, uh, 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 discuss, Dr. Chris McGrath, R. Kelly's doctor for about 25 years, testified on Thursday, um, August 19th that he told R. Kelly sometime between 2000 and 2007 that the singer had genital herpes, supporting the claims of several of R. Kelly's accusers who say the singer knowingly transmitted the disease to them. In testimony that verged on the bizarre at times, Dr. Chris McGrath said R. Kelly's herpes diagnosis was clear and he needed prescriptions called into a pharmacy often he needed prescriptions called into a pharmacy often uh dr chris mcgrath uh said it was so often that i had memorized the phone number to that walgreens end quote he said reciting off the number 
Now, Dr. Chris McGrath uh, said he became friends with R. Kelly and never charged the sink for his services, instead enjoying uh, perks like Chris, uh, uh, cross-country trips to concerts. The doctor and his wife attended uh, R. Kelly's 52nd birthday celebration, uh, the last before his incarceration. He said he even attended a funeral for R. Kelly's daughter's dog. Okay. Now, the doctor testified that R. Kelly tested negative for the, uh, for the sexually transmitted disease, but that the test was inconclusive because testing for herpes can be finicky. He said that based on the singer's symptoms and response to the medication, he stood by his ultimate diagnosis. But based on that testimony, Nicole Blank Becker, one of R. Kelly's lawyers, argued in cross-examination that R. Kelly did not really have herpes. Uh, Valtrex, she said, naming the herpes medication can be used to treat other things, such, uh, such as Dr. McGrath asked, uh, the doctor then listed the different diseases treated by the drug, all different types of herpes. Okay, quote, I feel that 100% he has herpes, end quote, Dr. McGrath told the jury. Okay, so you can check out uh, this key moments from week one in the uh, R. Kelly trial. This is from uh, New York Times. And then... Um, you have testimony from today. You had um, a witness testify who they're using the, the name Zale for her in uh, court. If we look at this here, just a second, let me pull this one up here. Witness says R. Kelly offered fame for sex. I just wanted to sing, quote unquote. Witness says R. Kelly offered fame for sex. I just wanted to sing. The second accuser to testify against R. Kelly was 17 years old when the singer pressured her for sex as the second week of R. Kelly's trial began. Now, uh, she, they're using the name Zale for her as she testifies. Uh, she says she received, when she was 17 years old, she received uh, R. Kelly's phone number at a music festival and was told she could audition for him. Uh, she was hoping, she was an aspire, aspiring singer. She was eager to meet R. Kelly. She was hoping he could help jumpstart her career. She said that uh, R. Kelly told her he needed to relieve himself sexually uh, before he could listen to her sing. Okay, uh, she, she went to his hotel room. Um, she said at the, when she got to the hotel room, uh, she, she was going to audition the scene, but he only wanted to have sex with her. Uh, she testified. Uh, she said that he uh, said he needed to relieve himself sexually before he could listen to her sing. I guess that has something to do with like his hearing or something. His hearing was blocked or something, I guess. Um, she said, I was against it. I told him 
I did not come to please him, she said. He continued to persist and told me I didn't have to do anything just to take off my clothes. Now, as R. Kelly's uh, pressure continued, Zell, who told him that she was 18, said that she acquiesced and allowed the entertainer to perform sex, uh, uh, perform a sex act on her. He told her that if she agreed, he would allow her to audition and would, quote, take care of me for life, uh, she testified. Now, she said, I didn't necessarily care for that. She told jurors, I just wanted to sing. Now, as she recounted the story of the first meeting with R. Kelly, uh, Zale, who is now 23, be, uh, became the second accuser to take the stand against R. Kelly at the trial in federal district court in Brooklyn. She previously defended the singer publicly as recent as recently as 2019, even as claims against him mounted, but later made her own accusations of sexual and physical uh, abuse. She testified under a pseudonym because of privacy concerns, and she has identified as Jane Doe number five in uh, court documents, okay? Uh, now, another woman, Geronda Pace, who we talked about last week, told jurors uh, last week that she and R. Kelly started a six-month sexual rela relationship when she was 16 years old and testified that the artist had physically abused her, including uh, one uh, once choking her until she passed out after she failed to abide by one of the strict restrictions he demanded guests follow. Uh, several of the artist's accusers, several, uh, several of R. Kelly's accusers are expected to testify against him during the month-long trial, uh, uh, anticipated uh, during the month-long trial, long anticipated since, since his sexual uh, conduct came under fresh scrutiny during the height of the Me Too movement. Okay, now R. Kelly is not charged with felony sex crimes related directly to his accusers. Rather, he faces a broad racketeering case that portrays him as the kingpin of a decades long operation to recruit women and underage girls for sex by capitalizing on the singer's fame. He's pleaded not guilty to all nine counts against him, which also include violations of an anti-sex trafficking law known as the Mann Act, M-A-N-N. If convicted, he could spend life in prison. Okay, so check out this other article. We'll, we'll give another update on tomorrow's show. Uh, witness says R. Kelly offered fame for sex. I just wanted to sing. This is from August 23rd, 2021 from, uh, from the New York Times. All right. Uh, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the um, online courses that I teach there. We ha I teach two 10-week online courses. Um, and the, the new class is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968 from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Uh, it's right on the homepage of our website. Each class we go through and analyze a 10-year a, a period of history. And we deal with history uh, in the last year, the Civil War uh, and 
the 13th Amendment and slavery ending, all of that. And we go through 1865 to 1877, the Compromise of 1877 and the end of Reconstruction. Um, and we go through the Jim Crow era, uh, World War One, World War Two, Civil Rights Movement, all that through the Black Power Movement, through 1968 to understand what happened after slavery ended. How do we get to uh where we are today so we can understand where do we need to go from here and we look at the laws and policies that were put in place that have put us in the predicament uh we're in today and how we were locked out of massive land giveaways after uh a slavery ended also okay so we we have that class and then uh we have uh from the civil war we have uh ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. That's another 10-week online course that's right underneath this one here. Both of them are $80 each. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded, so you can go back and watch them anytime. You, you can still watch the class even after the 10-week course is over with. You can watch from around the world. Uh, this one... Uh, this one here, we deal with thousands of years of history and what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We do this one Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, so visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for those. Click on register here. And then on the next page, just um, the next page is click on enroll. And as soon as you register, you can start watching uh, the class we did, uh, the most recent class we did in the previous ones. We also have archived also. And there's bonus content there that you can watch as well. All right. And all my DVD lectures and digital downloads are at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com uh, also. Okay, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Be sure to, uh, those watching on our Facebook fan page, uh, The African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. Be sure to follow us there and turn on live notifications on YouTube. Click on the bell so you'll be notified when we go live, okay? Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda forever, and we'll talk to you uh, tomorrow. Peace. Thanks for tuning in. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle Her Hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustler Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. 
While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701.